That's who we have come to worship today, is the great I am. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time that we can come and gather in your name. Father, I thank you that we want the great I am in our service today. Father, we ask that you be here, and Father, we acknowledge your presence here today. And Father, we pray that you'll have a freedom, because you are the great I am, to work in the lives of your people. So Father, I come today just asking and, and encouraging us to worship you that in a way that is acceptable to you, the great I am. Father, accept our worship today, God, as we worship you in spirit and in truth. Thank you, Father, for your holy presence. In your name, I pray these things. Amen. Amen. We'll be in Colossians today if you want to turn there. Going down a little bit of a different road, I guess, here for a while. Maybe I can find it. (laughs) There it is. (laughs) The struggles of today's world that we see in today's world are nothing new in, in churches throughout the history. We know today that uh, many times we hear preachers preaching on different things like uh, 10 steps to be a better friend, to be better than you were yesterday, your best life now. And they preach on those kinds of issues and yet they forget to preach on the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. We see denominations today pulling out verses that doesn't seem to fit with their thought process. And they begin to interpret the Bible a little different way because they don't want to be offensive to anybody in today's culture. And they're allowing now the the culture to change uh, the, the gospel instead of the gospel changing the culture. We see today that uh, the idea, and we've preached on this the last five or six Sundays, the idea that uh, abortion and, and cancel culture and the gay and transgender agenda is uh, now accepted in society and accepted in many churches today. And where denominations and churches have allowed um, uh, those kinds of people to even fill the pulpit and to express that agenda and push that agenda. So we see that kind of thing today, and, 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 and I tell you that because, and I know you know that, but the Apostle Paul also had issues in his, in his day as he dealt with many churches. Uh, the issues were, uh, had different names, if you would, but the issues were still the same because the issues that he was dealing with, and especially in this church at Colossae, were issues that... Uh, Uh, would bring down the church, would destroy the church. They were heresies that, uh, uh, straight from the pits of hell, you might say, that were designed to destroy that church and destroy the gospel and destroy other churches and other lives around him. And he was going to deal with that. And that's what he is dealing with today. And what we're going to do in, in the next few weeks, we're going to take a deep dive, if you would, into the book of Colossians. Because this church of Colossae was beginning to allow different things to come into their 
to their church, different philosophies, different heresies, different strange and sinful things that would have destroyed this church. And Paul is writing uh, this letter to the Colossians in order to nip it in the bud before it got too bad. So we're going to look at some of those issues today. The book of Colossians, man, it is, uh, uh, it is a, a really a good book. And, and we're going to spend time on that book for a while uh, because it is the first two and three chapters really deal with Jesus and, and who Jesus really is. As Paul is confirming to this church uh, some of the issues that they have to, have to deal with. Some of the things that they were looking at, I just, I'm just going to tell you what they were, and because and, we kind of hear some of this, this kind of ideas today. This church in Colossae, they were beginning to, uh, if you would, read the horoscopes. Uh, they began this idea of looking at astrology and looking at the sun and the moon and the stars and the planet and just and trying to get what their day is going to be and read about according to what the stars said. I mean, there's nothing biblical about astrology like that. They began to look at uh, the philosophers of the time, those well-written philosophers and how, to, how they tried to figure things out. And yet, as they looked at the philosophies of the day, they were rejecting the simplicity of the gospel. The gospel is very simple, but the philosophers tried to take it way out there. That is not good in a church. They began to look at, the Bible says, enlightenment. That, that, that we need worldly wisdom and we need worldly knowledge in order to be able to know how to function in society. That, that man is smart enough to live how he wants to live. And the more knowledge and wisdom you had, they believed, the better off you would be. There's nothing biblical about that. They began to stress what, what I would call an easy grace. They began to believe that if I do some religious things, if I come to church or give or whatever, I, I'm good. And if I do the religious things, then I can live my life however I want to live. Get out of Sunday, get Sunday over with, <laughs> out of the way, and then I got six days to do what I want to do. And that kind of attitude began to permeate in this church. But that's not the, the worst of it, <laughs> okay? That ain't the worst of it. What they began to believe about Jesus was that he really was not the mediator between God and man. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the mediator. He is in the middle. And in order for us to be able to have a relationship with God, we have to go through Jesus Christ. Well, they didn't believe that anymore. They began to preach the idea that all the mediator were really just spirits and the angels out there, and that's all we needed. That's just heresy. That is against God's word. They believed that God, that Jesus really wasn't human being. Really, Jesus really didn't walk on this earth. No, he didn't. He wouldn't have done that. He didn't really have flesh and blood. He, he didn't do that. He was just a spirit, not flesh and blood. They believed that Jesus, there's no way Jesus could be God. Because you see, God would never allow himself to suffer. God would never allow himself to be killed and hung on a cross. God would never do that. And this began to come into the church. But probably the biggest thing that, that really the heresy that was being brought into this church there in Colossae was that they said redemption was not just only Jesus. It is 
Jesus plus. That in order for you to be saved, to have salvation, you need Jesus plus, and you just name anything you want to name. Jesus plus baptism would be salvation. Jesus plus good works. Jesus plus attendance. Jesus plus giving. Jesus plus, and you just put a, put a whole list of names on that. And they believed Jesus was not enough for redemption, and Jesus was not enough for salvation. Even though they would have known John 14, 6. They would have known John 14, 6. John 14, 6 said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You see, they were kind of stretching the gospel there a little bit. They would have known Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God and not of works, lest any man should boast. You see, how easy it is for them back there and for churches today to just begin to allow some of this kind of junk to come into their church. And it doesn't take much to ruin a church and defeat a church by allowing even one of those kinds of thoughts to come in. I gave you eight and just one of them is enough to destroy a church. And Paul is saying, I have got to nip this in the bud. We've got to stop this because, because evil is coming into that church. And we have to do the same thing with this church and other churches around that we have to be, be aware of what the Bible says about what the gospel is and not allow strange and heresy into our church. In verse 1 there of, of Colossians 1 and 2, we're going to look at this today and we're going to see what he has to say. Yeah, I, I, I figured I could get past 1 and 2, but I just couldn't. The book of Colossians is really, it's got good stuff in it. You see, the book of Colossians has so much spiritual truth in it about the Christian faith and it has so much truth about who Jesus is because Paul is writing and answering all those things that they were trying to allow into the church. He's going to have a rebuttal for every one of them. And for the next few weeks, we're going to just have a series on in the book of Colossians. So if you want to read ahead, if you want to get ahead of us and be overachievers, I mean, just, just start verse 3 coming up this week and just start reading and read a few verses and you'll know where we're going next week. It's important that we know what it means to be a Christian and it's important to mean who Jesus really is. And that's the book of Colossians and that's what we're going to do. In verse 1, we see this. I, I hope we can pull some points out of here that affect us as people and as a church. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. Paul says, you know, by the will of God, I am doing what I do. You know, Paul, he was that, that great apostle. He was that great evangelist. He was that great uh, church planner. Uh, he was that great writer who wrote a lot of the, the New Testament. And Paul says, you know, I, I do this because this was God's calling on my life. This is God's will for me at this particular time in my life. And he says, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to fail God. I don't want to uh, come up at the end of my life and say, you know, God, I'm sorry. I just didn't do what you wanted me to do. I kind of did my own thing. And Paul said, I don't want to be like that. I, I do what I do because of the will of God. Did you know 
God has a specific task for you, every person in this room. He has a great plan for your life. Did you know that? He has a great plan for your life. And, it, and I got to thinking about that. You know, he hasn't called everybody to be a teacher or a preacher. You know, you, you don't get out of that. You know, God has given you a speci- special task. He's given you a special talent. He's given you abilities that he hasn't given other people. And it doesn't have to be a teacher or a preacher or somebody related to the church. I mean, he's given you a perfect plan that, that maybe he's called you to be a farmer. Maybe he's called you to be a salesman. Maybe he's called you to be a daycare worker. Maybe a, a business owner or somebody that works for somebody. An accountant, a lawyer, you just name it. I mean, maybe God has given you that kind of ability and that's where God has put you. And because he puts you in a particular spot and if you're doing what he has called you to do, I can promise you there is great contentment in that. Because when God puts you and you allow God to put you in a spot, whatever that spot might be, he's going to provide for you. He's going to challenge you. He's going to sustain you. He's going to give you everything that you need in order to be successful during that time. You know, doing God's will always, sometimes is not easy. Sometimes doing God's will is just not easy at all. And you look at the Apostle Paul, and you, and you see what life he had. I mean, being shipwrecked, being beaten, being rejected, having dangers all in his life. Uh, the times that he was threatened, being stoned to death and probably brought back to life. I mean, doing, doing God's will was very difficult for Paul. But we find in Paul's writings that Paul found great contentment in his writings. He found great peace in his writings because, because he was in the will of God. You can never have true joy outside of the will of God. It just can't happen. You can maybe have happiness for a day or so, for a time, for a season, but you'll never have joy being outside of the will of God. In 2 Corinthians 12.10, Paul writes this. He says, Therefore I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Being in God's will for your life brings contentment, no matter how difficult that will be. Being outside of God's will in your life will not bring contentment, will not bring happiness, will not bring peace. I had to learn that the hard way in my life. <laughs> Years ago, I had been teaching and coaching, and I had finished my seventh year of doing that. We'd have had a bad season during basketball. Uh, I was tired of being in the classroom. I uh, was not having any joy, no peace, no contentment, nothing. I mean, it was, and I was looking to get out. And I had a guy who came to me and offered me a job. And, and of course, you know, you pray over that kind of stuff and, and, uh, because you use that, <laughs> that prayer kind of a deal. And I kind of really knew I shouldn't do it. I didn't have any peace about it, but uh, I did. I, I, I stopped my, my teaching job and coaching and, and pursued this other, this other job. And the job lasted for about a year. 
and then the job just just petered out didn't have a job now here I am uh, no job work some smaller jobs and trying to make it make a living trying to support and trying to pay and you know what you do so it came around the second year and I was that was for about a year that we struggled with that and and then August of that second year when school was fixing to start the basketball coach and the guy who was teaching history at Clinton resigns and we're just within weeks days of school starting and I knew for a fact that that God wanted me back in teaching and coaching so I quickly applied and and they interviewed me again and and said well Don this job will uh, we're going to open up the job again after one year but we'll hire you we'll hire you for a year and for 25 years later, I was able to stay at that spot. You see, I thought I knew uh, what was best for me. And what was best for me was to get out. But what was best for me and what was God's will for my life was to stay back in. To do what I have been trained to do. To do what God wanted me to do. And that would be, be back in the classroom and teaching. And because I had got out of that for a while... There was no peace and no joy and no contentment because I was floundering outside of God's will. But when I got back into his will and got back into doing what he'd called me to do, it was the best 25 years of my life up until that point. Because you see, you see, there's joy in doing what God called you to do. There is no joy. There is no contentment outside of God's will. Because he has put you giving you the abilities to do whatever you do if, if you're content with what job you're doing with right now what, whatever you're making a living and it seems to be good that very easily could be God's will for your life very easily could be that but if you're always not content and always wondering and always looking and is it greener on the other side maybe just maybe maybe you're not in God's will Maybe you're not what God has made you for, whatever that is. And I would urge you, if that is you, if you're always seeking, always wondering, always looking, that maybe you need to just talk to God about this and find out what God has for you. Paul says, I am an apostle because of God's will. And because of that, I am content in everything that I do. I would urge you to evaluate that if you just would. The second thing I want you to see in verse 1, he says, Timothy, our brother. Timothy, our brother. Paul knew what relationships were. He knew how important relationships were. And here we have this young Timothy, this young guy coming on board with Paul. And, and Paul is, uh, Paul very easily could have taken the approach that uh, I'm the mature guy here. I have been around the block. I've been... I know what I'm doing. I'm smarter. I'm wiser than you, Timothy. You need to kind of just sit back, take a few notes, and see how I do things. Because I am the guy, and you are just now a nobody, in essence. But Paul doesn't take that approach. Paul calls him a brother. Paul calls him a brother in Christ. You are my equal, Paul would say. You might be younger, but you are still a brother that has been born again and saved. And because of that, we are all on equal ground and why do I uh, why do I want to tell you that why, why, what, what effect does that have on the church and on this church well you see in a church body there is 
nobody that is superior to anyone else. There is no one better than anybody else right here in this church. There is no one that should be judging anybody. There's no one that should have a critical spirit because of who you are or who there aren't. You can't have that. There should be no division among church people and church body. Because you see, there's nobody better than anybody else. There should be no arrogance and pride over who you are. I've seen churches where people get the title of deacon and they strut around thinking they're somebody. Thinking they run the church. No, they do not. Jesus runs the church and they do not. They have a certain job to do, but they don't run the church. And I've seen churches split over that because of people getting a title and who they are and thinking they're better than everyone else and they're not better than everybody else. Because you see, you see, we all serve the same God. We all at one time were sinners in need of a Savior. We're no better than anybody else. We are all saved by the grace of God. I go because of the grace of God. I am saved because of the grace of God. That does not make me better than anybody does not make you better anybody see Paul understood there is fellowship that needs to be happening in a church and it must and it must be from the heart I want to encourage you with these verses Romans 12 10 says be devoted to one another in brotherly love be devoted to one another we are devoted in this building right here to each other because we serve the same God give preference to one another in honor Philippians 2, 3 says this. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Regard one another more important as yourself. I cannot stress enough, church family, what it means to do that. What it means to have fellowship, to mean to be devoted to each other. It's important in this church and important in that church, Colossae Church, any church, that we be devoted to each other. Uh, It's important to consider others more important than you. It is important that we are humble in the way we relate to other people. It's important that we love and offer forgiveness and offer grace to each of us. It's important that we overlook the difficulties and the differences that we have and then we extend love to, to all of us. You see, that's where fellowship comes from. We must, we must honor and respect people. And I know sometimes in churches that's very difficult. And, and, and where does that come from? Where does that come from as, as we have a group of 70 people here today that are all different, have all different personalities. How do, we, how do we combine all of that? And sometimes that's very difficult. In some churches, you almost can't. Well, you can, but they don't want to. How can we be bonded closer together to each other, be more devoted to each other? Well, let me tell you. Matthew 22, 37 through 39. I think Dirk's got that one. How do we do that? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. You see, when mine and your vertical relationship is right with Him, when it is right with the Heavenly Father, then, and only then, can you love your neighbor as yourself. 
when it's right here, your horizontal relationships will be right. See, you, don't, you can't get them backwards. You got to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind. And that relationship, and then these relationships will all work. How can a church be in fellowship and be devoted and love each other? Because their relationship here is right, and it flows down in this direction. That is how, and only how, that can be done. Real quickly in verse 2, let's keep going. It says, To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. You see it right at the beginning says, to the saints and the faithful brethren. That first word, saints, is dealing with carnal Christians. Carnal Christians. People that have expressed a, a profession of faith, if you would, that, that, that have maybe walked an aisle somewhere down the road. But as they have lived their life, they have never really pursued the things of, of Christ. Uh, their, their life is just, it's just not as important to them. The relationship with Christ is just not important to them. They have never really truly made a commitment to Christ. You look at their lives and their lives looks more like the culture of the time than of the loving Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and, and there's just no commitment there and there's no bonding there. And, and, and he's talking to those kind of people because those folks that are, that are carnal, that really are not into faith, being a faithful believer. Paul is writing to them and, he, and he's going to tell them that those kind of people that are not all in, they are the ones that will begin to listen to the outside voices. They will begin listening and accepting the heresies of the culture accepting those things that we talked about in the first of the message. They will be able to be deceived because they have no spiritual maturity. And Paul would say, be careful with that. We must not allow that in our church. We cannot be carnal Christians and think that you are on level ground with everyone else. And he's speaking there, don't do that, he says. Don't go there, carnal Christian, if that's possible. And then I like what he says, the second part, faithful brethren. Faithful brethren, faithful believers. It is those people who have accepted Jesus and he is Lord and he is Savior of their life. There are those folks who are committed, who are faithful, who are strong, who will never allow the outside world to come in and to shake their faith. He will, they will never allow something to come in and go, oh, I think I like that. No, because they have been rooted and grounded in God's word. They are spiritually mature. And I, and I hope and pray everyone in here is growing in their maturity. Uh, that's one of the goals as your pastor is to try to teach you and to help you to mature in your faith. A faithful believer is somebody who desires the things of the Lord. That truly desires the things of the Lord. Well, what are the things of the Lord? I believe it's having a desire to read his word daily. What does his word say about that, whatever that is? I believe the desires delighting in the Lord is, is, is praying. I believe delighting in the Lord is coming on Sunday. Okay, I mean, I, I like coming. I believe a, a delight in the Lord is, is to, to give and to love and to share and have fellowship with, with one another. 
you know, uh, Psalms 37, 4, and 5 talk about delighting in the Lord. And I believe a faithful believer, a faithful brethren, I think hey, phrase it there, is somebody that desires and delights in the things of the Lord. Are you a faithful brethren or brother of Christ? Or are you leaning towards a carnal Christian who could be deceived, who could uh, bring destruction to a church body? Last thing I want to tell you just real quick in these verses, Paul says to them, grace to you and peace to you from God our Father. Paul would be praying over this church many times and he's going to pray grace to you. What is, what is grace to you? Grace is God's unmerited favor. Grace is, is all those good and perfect gifts that God gives to you that comes down from, the, from, from above, the lights of above. It is God giving you stuff that you do not deserve. And Paul is saying, I want grace to come upon this church, grace to come upon every person in this, in this church. It is living a life according to God's grace. And he says, I want that for you people. And then he says, I want peace for you. Peace is having that security and confidence that God will do what he said he would do. That's trust, is it not? Peace is knowing that God will sustain you. God will guide you. God will deliver you. God will provide for you. God will never fail you or forsake you. Peace is knowing that he'll do all of that in times that are difficult, times that are struggles, times that are trials. If your life has been turned upside down by something, peace, the peace, peace from God is knowing that he will take care of you during those very difficult times. You get that phone call that you don't want to have and you got, you got to go to the doctor. Peace is knowing that God has got this. I, I, I talk to Peggy Winstead all the time and, and her favorite phrase is this, God's got this. God's got this. You've heard her say it. I know you have if, if you talk to her very much. And what is she saying? I have peace because I know my God is in control. My God is sovereign. He's going to take care of me. My God has a perfect plan for me, whatever that might be. And if I got a sickness, I know he's still got a perfect plan for me. And one day I'm going to be with him for eternity. Yeah, God's got this. And the only way that you, you and I can have peace through Jesus Christ, peace of God and peace with God, is when we have a relationship with Jesus. There's no other way that we can have peace without a relationship with Jesus Christ. As a church, we must never allow heresy to enter into our church. We must never allow the world to have their philosophies come in. Uh, I have promised you before, and I'll promise you again, that I will preach from God's Word, and that's all we're going to get. And if that doesn't grab you, then that's fine. I, I love you, but you might want to go somewhere else, okay? Because this is what you're going to get. That's all I got. I want you to know that we must guard the fellowship of our church. We must be devoted to each other. We must be humble, loving, and forgiving to each other. Even though we have differences, even though we look different, even though we might think different. One of the greatest things we must guard against is the fellowship, having fellowship of God. Because that's what he wants. We must be a people that seek God's will in our lives. Seek his will. What does God want from me? 
Is it a job? Is it a relationship? Is it something that I need to do or read or think about? God, what do you have for me? What do you want me to do? Is this the job that, I, that you want me at? You've given me this ability? And if that is the case, he'll give you peace and contentment to be able to do that job. We must guard against not having God's will. And then the last thing I want to share with you. Are we willing to grow in maturity? Are we willing to grow in maturity? Are we willing to grow in God's word? You see, when you got saved, that's, that's not the end of the process. That's the beginning. You must be in his word to be able to grow. You must know what his word says in order to grow. You must be able to do his will in order to grow. And I hope as you progress through your 20s and your 30s and your 40s and your 50s and, and for Minta or hundreds, uh, I, I hope that every year, every day, you're growing in what you know about God's Word. You got to. The Bible says you're not, not going to be milk, babies with just milk, spiritual milk. It's time for all of us to be eating the meat of God's Word and feasting on His Word and taking it deeper into our lives. So for the next weeks, we're going to be looking at Colossians, and we're going to get, take a deep dive into that. Okay? We, have some, we see what he's talked about, our church and some people, and then next couple of weeks we'll be looking at Christ as he defends Christ, as he tells us who Christ is. And he tells that church, and he's telling us just who Jesus is and what he's done for you and I. I, I hope you'll be looking forward to it. I hope you'll be reading ahead. It's okay. Overachievers. I like you, okay? Read ahead and get, get there. Ron, as we begin our invitation time, I just, uh, just a couple of thoughts I want you to get. Are you growing in the Lord? Is your, or is your life looking like the world out there? If you look at your life, is it, is it a kind of a carnal Christian where you just kind of blend in, where you have one foot in the world and one foot in church? Or if, if the Apostle Paul were, were to look at you and as he was thinking about writing his letter, would he go, faithful believer, hmm, faithful believer. I hope he would write that about all of us. Matter of fact, I hope God would say that about us, <laughs> faithful believer. And I hope one day God will say, well done, good and faithful servant when he sees us face to face. So I don't know how, how God's spoken to you today. I, I would just encourage you, man, if, if, if you're not where you need to be spiritually, man, get it right with God. If you're somebody that uh, uh, is not really seeking God at all in your life, seeking his will, I'd, 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 I'd urge you to do something about that. You'll never find peace, never find happiness outside of God's will. As we bow our heads and close our eyes, I'm going to let you do business with the Lord today. Uh, however he speaks to you, whatever that conviction is in your heart, I would ask you to deal with it even as we speak right now. However he's spoken to you, you speak to him about it as you pray.